Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back, my friends. Episode 80 of the BJJ Brick Podcast. Uh, I'm Gary, and as usual, we got Byron here also. How are you today, Byron? Gary, I'm doing pretty good. Good. Byron and I just got done rolling, so uh, we're pretty tired. A little bit tired, but not, not, I wouldn't say exhausted. I didn't really I'm exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> I am exhausted, but that's a good day. Um, today, we got a very special guest. Uh, Jay Bell is going to be on the show. We're going to have an interview with him. So uh, very, very excited about that. I know we'll all uh, learn a lot from him. Yeah, it's a fun interview, Gary. We talk about a lot of different things. Coach Jay Bell has, has a lot of experience, and he's got also a really cool YouTube channel, Gary. I know you've been a fan of that for many years. I tell you, when uh, Byron told me he interviewed Jay Bell, I was like, oh, man, that's awesome. Jay Bell was one of the first guys that I started watching online. I would always you know, watch his stuff. So uh, Jay Bell is like a, like a hero of mine. So I heard that name, and you know, I just started smiling. I was like, oh, man, too bad I missed that one. <laughs> Yeah, we talk about everything from uh, just like competition advice or advice for you if you're still in your first six months, uh, making a gym profitable if you're a gym owner. Like, so everybody uh, should be able to get something uh, of pretty amazing value out of this interview. Yeah, I like the part. Uh, you know, he talks about how he likes to run the kids' class. Yep, a lot of a lot of good information in this interview, guys. And uh, after we get the uh, other stuff out of the way, we'll get right to that. I guess. Awesome, Gary. Speaking of other stuff, uh, we're trying to keep the. Uh, the computer power on on the uh, and the lights on in this uh, place here because so, it's not you know the sun's not out every day that's true yeah. my solar panel is getting dusty and it's in the shade now yeah yeah you got to <laughs> cut the trees down <laughs> but uh, really if you want to help us out um, we do have a uh, audio book available to download it's basically um, I recorded it uh, without Gary unfortunately but uh, so that means it should sell well. <laughs> But it's just me giving you advice for your first year of training. If you're if you're in your first year, or even if you're past that, uh, and you want to support the podcast, it's a great way to do that. Um, it's called Your First Year of BJJ, and it's uh, about a, two and a half hours long. It's eleven ninety nine, so you can think of it like a dollar per month for listening. I don't know for a year. I don't know. I don't know how you're going to break it down, but it's twelve bucks. Um, there's the link to it in the show notes or on the website. You should be able to find it pretty easily. And I do appreciate the support. Yeah, stuff from Byron. It's then you know it's top notch. Byron is a uh, great jiu-jitsu practitioner and uh, teacher. He's taught me a ton. So thank you, Byron. Yep. And I thanks Gary, man. <laughs> he always made me, I don't know what to say. Uh, Gary's taught me a ton too, but uh, it's everything from finding your first gym and, and why you would do jiu-jitsu to, uh, to all the way to competition. So it's kind of a lot of different emotions happen your first year, and it's not an easy year for you. And that's one of the things we really are geared toward with this podcast is we're really trying to help the new people. That's kind of we gear more that way. And it, it's tough when you first start. It's tough navigating your first you know month, year, six months, trying to figure out where to go, what to do. And, and that's hopefully we can give people a little bit of a hand there. That's what we're looking to do. So that's one way you can support us if – if that's uh, something you want to do, but something even better that you could do um, with your money would be to go uh, support our friend Amber Oxford Haynes. Definitely. We've talked about it uh, last week there with the uh, uh, person who put on the event, Matt Lowe. Uh, definitely. Uh, Amber is a, a great person, a great uh, jiu-jitsu person, and uh, we're all trying to uh, help her out. 
Yep, she's uh, in a fight uh, with breast cancer, and she's unable to work uh, during this. So her and our friend Chris are are having the stress of that, and then plus also not having uh, the, the steady income that Amber uh, has with her several jobs. She's, she's an amazing person. She's got more jobs than I could uh, I, uh, than I could I even imagine. Yeah, <laughs> but um, several uh, donators have came in uh, lately. A uh, gentleman by the name of Jason donated a significant amount of money. Uh, Thank you, Jason. We yeah. really appreciate it, and we appreciate everybody who's donated. Yeah, uh, you know, less. We the names are on there. I see Nathan Hadley. I know Nathan really well. Thank you, and and just everybody else donating. So thank you very much. Yeah, it it means a lot to them. And even if it's if it's not a significant chunk of money, uh, a small donation shows Amber that she's getting support. And like it's a good feeling to have somebody. Oh, this person is is willing and, to help me today. And even those small donations just add up. I mean, if you have you know any little bit, you know it's definitely going to help. If you feel like helping somebody, Amber Oxford Haynes is a great person to help out. She's going through a tough time. I'll put links to everything in the show notes or check out the website. It's got a youcaring.com page, and uh, and I'll try to make everything easy for you to find. If you can't find it, email me at bjjbreak at gmail.com, and I'll send you that way and, and help you get to, to helping Amber out. Um, we'll do anything we could, could do to help you guys get to her and, and, and help out with things. If you want to get a little bit more of the BJJ Break podcast, we do have an email list. We send out the show notes weekly. Um, just go to the Facebook page or the email or the not email. Uh, what do we have? We have a website, Gary. We have a website. <laughs> <laughs> you go to the website, bjbrick.com, and you can put your name and your email in there. Every week you'll get an email that says, you know, what's on the show. And then at the bottom of that, there's also a link to a Dropbox folder with a, with a half dozen or so uh, parts, uh, little clips from little mini ebooks or whatever, or audiobooks and different things in there. You'd also find a couple of the chapters from the audiobook that we have for sale that was still up in there. So at one point in time I had the entire audiobook in that thing and uh, and I got rid of a couple of the bigger chapters out of there. But still there's several pieces of this. if you're on the fence about the audiobook get Just on the email list and check it out through the Dropbox folder. So that's good. Um, Gary, how about last week we had a really cool interview with Jared Dopp so, Megalo. Yep, Megalo Dopp. Got a lot of good feedback on, on that and just... Uh, He's, he's somebody that you want to hear from because he, what he's accomplished in such a short amount of time, and and uh, and you want to learn from somebody like that. Yeah, but so we got the quote of the week from him today. Yeah, we are lucky. So here we go. Yeah, actually, it's been one of my favorites lately. I've been trying to live more like this, um, and it's not it's not anything about you know winning or losing. It's it's a little motivational, kind of a feel good, and will point you in the right direction. Uh, it's by Miyamoto Musashi from the Book of Five Rings. And it says, There's nothing outside of yourself that can ever enable you to get better, stronger, richer, quicker, or smarter. Everything is within. Everything exists. Seek nothing outside of yourself. And I, I just, I really like that one because so many people are always looking for a, a way to get better, but they're not they're not thinking that they're the ones responsible for, it. you know, they're looking for the next, the next diet, the next, um, the next strength and conditioning program, the next supplement. They're trying to find the newest, best, best way to study. You know, how, how does this person study? How did this person do their homework? When in reality, they just need to be focusing on themselves because those are all those other things aren't going to help you unless you really want it. 
you know, you have to find you have to find your way of doing things, and that's the only way to improve. That that's my opinion on the quote. Okay, that was Jared Dopp. Uh, basically, the quote is: "There is nothing outside of yourself that can ever enable you to get better, stronger, richer, quicker, or smarter. Everything is within. Everything exists. Seek nothing outside of yourself." Man, that's awesome. Yeah, that's deep. We're, we're me and Gary are, are going over this quote, and we're like, I'm glad he explained that, you know, because it's a, it's it's a it's a deep quote, but it uh, makes sense. Like, look inside yourself for for answers. Don't and don't like copy what people are doing. Do your own thing. And yeah, yeah. and I see that so much. Like you said, everybody's looking for a magic pill, a shortcut, and you know, it kills me. Like I see on the infomercials, somebody selling a sit up machine that actually does a sit up for you, and it's <laughs> like, come on, you know. You get down nothing that good old hard work that you yourself can do will make you better. Yeah. I'm reminded of two things. Uh, the first is a little more serious, but um, when we uh, had John Kavanaugh on the show, and he said that focus on your game. And then he gave the example of uh, Ronda Rousey. Like everybody who she's fought is worried about getting armbarred, and they go out there and they don't do their thing and they get armbarred. Well, granted, Ronda Rousey is amazing, but. Yeah. Um, if he had a fighter going to fight her, he would he would say, "We're going to do your thing. This we're going to be in your place. We're going to fight your fight, and not worry so much about the armbar." And I don't. I mean, that's what his strategy would be. I think that would be better than any yeah. strategy I'd come up with. So that and then the second thing it reminded me of a sit up machine. Um, you ever seen the movie Bad Grandpa? No, I haven't. I haven't seen. <laughs> it. I, I would like to. You would like? I, yeah, it would make you laugh. There's there's parts that are pretty darn funny in that. But anyway, he he's. Uh, they're in their house. They're having like a state sale, and uh, he's showing them how to use the, the this fancy bed that they have that will sit you up or whatever. Yeah. And so it's Johnny Knoxville is dressed up yeah. as, a, as yeah. a guy and an elderly man, and he lays on the bed. And the woman hits the button, and it just like folds him in half and starts like slamming him close, slam, 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 like an automatic sit-up machine would do the workout for yeah. you. It's like. I don't know how he didn't actually get injured doing this stunt, but it just well, they, that guy always gets injured. Yeah, he, he's uh, tough. Yeah. But and the ladies are just like screaming like as he's getting slammed in this machine over and over again. You know this has nothing to do with it. I'm way <laughs> off topic, but I'm could you imagine a- doing jujitsu with uh, with Johnny Knoxville and his his guys there, Steve O and yeah. and all those guys? I, I bet you couldn't get him to tap. I bet you'd be rolling, and then they'd be coming with that little buzz thing and shave your head <laughs> as you're as you're on the mat there. Either that or antique you. Yeah. There's worse things that could be done than both those, yeah. but uh, but those dudes, I mean, they put themselves in pain, so I bet it'd be hard to uh, tap those guys out. They yeah, at a high threshold. Yeah, especially with any yeah, or get them to move from you know that's one thing off topic again, but it, I guess back on the topic is like not moving from discomfort, moving because of you know someone has good leverage, some of that. Yeah. But if if I push you and it kind of like a pressure point, a lot of times you just people are great at ignoring those because. I don't want to move. I'm, yeah. I'm where I want to be. I'm heavy. I'm got to get side control, and you're going to pressure point me a little bit. I'm just going to stay there and just and just pressure. And yeah. Like I think that a lot of the traditional martial arts, you know, you, you get that little pressure point and you move from that and you react to that. But in jiu-jitsu, if you if you gave them that three inches that they want to get from you, that's all they needed to yeah. escape or whatever. I think well, after about six months of jiu-jitsu, you're pretty good at ignoring yeah. little uncomfortableness things. So. But definitely, uh, we went out a little off topic, but a great article, uh, Jared Dopp, you know, always, uh, you know, think within yourself, you know, it's up to you 
do what you need to do. Yeah, if you missed if you missed the interview, go back and check out last week's. Yeah. And it's uh, and the guy is just phenomenal. Yeah, he, he's, a full time student, and he's, <laughs> and he's getting fourth place at Abu Dhabi. <laughs> like that's that's phenomenal. <laughs> he's a purple belt. <laughs> yeah, that's unheard of. That's yeah, that's an amazing accomplishment yeah. right there. And he's 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 looking to go back and and, and do do and some do more good. work. Yeah. yeah. So. so definitely, uh, st- every time you get a chance to watch him, watch him. Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be fun and entertaining. So uh, Gary, the music is telling us that it's time for the article of the week. I like that music, and we've got an article written by our friend Mark Mullen, uh, who, you know what? If you mention the BJW podcast and article, there's a good chance uh, we might You're talk get about. <laughs> you know, he didn't. Even, we, we we know him. We're actually going to get him on the show in a little bit in, in a few weeks, but. Uh, just because we, we always read his articles and they're always uh, they always speak to us well, and so I emailed him and he said yes. But um, he, I, just, I was just cruising online and I saw this. You know, the article's titled Six Great Ways to Get Information About BJJ." So, yeah. oh yeah, I always like information about BJJ. And then we saw our name, you know, listed <laughs> on there, and then we both broke down crying. It finally happened. It finally happened. Yeah. So after we cleaned up all the tears and a little bit of pee, we got back to back together and yeah. Uh, yeah. But so, you know, now we think of ourselves as pretty big shots. Yeah. Oh, yeah, big time. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I mean, my the car that I have now has most of the paint on it. Like when I started this podcast, my car had very little paint. And you want to know the crazy thing about his car that he started the podcast with? The horn would go off. <laughs> That's right. At any given time. He never knew. Like, you could pull up to a stoplight next to a bunch of, you know, a motorcycle gang. Absolutely. And then all of a sudden that horn just starts going off. Yeah. I mean, good thing Byron knew jujitsu. It's one thing to have it go off once and you kind of wave and, and act like you might know them. But, like, for it to repeatedly go off after you've already had the initial wave, like, people expect them to be wrong. You know, like, like what, is my car on fire? Was my yeah. motorcycle, you know, you got a problem with our gang? Yeah. So. And it has, you know, it leads to a lot of road rage incidences. But so. Byron would always uh, calm him down and then pull guard in the middle of the street. <laughs> Worked well. Yeah, bro. It's right in the intersection. That's the best place to pull guard. Um, but this article has six great ways to learn information about BJJ. The first one was BJJ Podcast. And there are several podcasts out there. Uh, many, uh, if you like this, you're going to, there's some of them, other ones that you'll also enjoy. I mean, we're definitely not the podcast for BJJ, but we're just one of them. And uh, we do our thing here. But uh, he mentions that. And he mentions Inside BJJ as another podcast. And there's uh, Open Mat Radio. And uh, Fightworks Podcast is another one I enjoy. Yeah. Um, lots of good podcasts out there. And it's obviously, you know about podcasts if we're listening, uh, yeah. to, if we're talking to you now. Yeah. So. Everybody will find their favorite. And then there's this website, Gary, called YouTube. YouTube. That's, that's item number two of, yeah. of getting information about BJJ. And earlier we talked about uh, Jay Bell's uh, YouTube site. And I've checked that out numerous times. Great stuff. Yep. Uh, but yeah, definitely. You. A lot of people have a lot of the stars and black belts and purple belts, brown belts have YouTube sites. And, and you'll find somebody that you really like. Some, you know, there's so many guys out there, but every we all have our own way of learning. Somebody who really helps us out that we can really understand. And like I said, Jay, Jay Bell was one of the guys, and uh, Matt Kirtley uh, was another guy that I really helped my game. So check them out, see who you really like, and uh, you know, check out the YouTube channels. The next thing on the list of, of learning or getting information about B today is books. Just regular books, and he's got a list here with ten great books, and I've seen a lot of them, and, and have a few. You know, there's Hinzo uh, Gracie's Mastering Jiu-Jitsu, and of course, uh, Solo's uh, Jiu-Jitsu University is probably the, yeah, one of the biggest books well out known. there. 
Um, but there's several on here I, I need to at least look into and see if they're right for me. Um, you know, I've heard that Fighter's Heart, Sam Sheridan. I heard that's incredible. I, I do have to read that. I've I've talked about it. I was going to read it numerous times, and I haven't yet. But uh, I heard it's incredible. So if you're looking for a, a book uh, about jiu-jitsu, uh, you, you could just find this article and, and look at his link there or the obviously the link is in the notes and uh find the link to that and then link on to the 10 uh, books he recommends so those two links kind of hopefully it's not too difficult but uh there's lots of good books they're just go to amazon and find a good book about jiu-jitsu and yeah. and get to learn and enjoy it. yourself it's 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 like sometimes if the only way you have to learn something is one way like you're gonna go and train in class that's a that's a great way to learn that's yeah the that's way your best way but your brain can pick up things like some people it's like if you're a, a visual learner versus a, a person who does things like you need to kind of get your brain activated in multiple areas coming at it and it will help but uh, you know obviously going to class and training with partners yeah, and, and that's a good your, instructor that's is your, your best way thing. yeah uh internet forums and you know what i really like about the internet forums you know they they talk about the underground mixed martial arts and sure dog but the nice thing about the internet forums is you can ask a specific question and there's a lot of black belts uh I normally check out the undergrounds, you know, a lot of black belts on there and purple belts, brown belts. It'll help you with your questions. I'll post videos of, of, you know, kind of what you're talking about. But that's what I really like about forums. You can ask a specific question and get a get a bunch of advice there. Yeah. And there's also, you know, Gary, occasionally I'll remember to post our podcast in yeah. that forums, but I yeah. usually don't. So if some listener wants to post our podcast in the forum, yeah. we would love it. Yeah. Like yeah, be, yeah, definitely. It, it's one thing that I, that I, I forget, I would say 80% of the time. Yeah. And, and we get new listeners. So if somebody wants to help us out, uh, that would be a really nice thing to do. Yeah. But, the only thing you have to worry about on mixedmartialarts.com is somebody map battles you. So stay away from that. Somebody what? Uh, puts a link into map battle. Oh yeah, you don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. Yeah. Okay, Stay I don't away. even. I don't even know. Stay away. At least you can't catch an STD through an internet form that you I. You might know. be able to from that side. Oh man, don't tell me about that. So uh, and, and there's also um, I don't know if Reddit's considered a form or not, but I usually, yeah. I'll usually remember to put our podcast there, and that seems like a great community. Yeah. If you have a question and. I don't know. Some questions you just you want to answer. You know, talk to somebody else yeah. outside your class. Maybe yeah. a lot of but people on there. You know what I love about this sport is you can go on Facebook, find your favorite athlete, and basically, first of all, they'll accept your friend request. <laughs> most of the time. But you can send them a, a. You can just like send a message, or there's a good chance they're going to answer. Yeah. Like I don't think that happens in any other sport. No, no I really yeah. don't. It's it's crazy that. You can send a message to, to somebody and, and they'll reply to you. Yeah. And they'll reply happily. Yeah. And that's crazy. Pick, pick pick an athlete and then, you know, watch the match that they've had. Give it a – I'd wait a week, maybe yeah. even just a couple of days to let them get home or whatever. And then say, hey, I'm a fan. I saw you yeah. um, online. I watched it or I saw you in person. Uh, excellent match. I really enjoyed watching you. I'm a big yeah. fan. And I and I would almost guarantee I, I, not everybody responds, but yeah. most athletes say thanks for watching. I yeah. appreciate it. It's crazy that this sport, it, the, how great these athletes are to the fans and, and help you out. Yeah. Yeah. So we could add, I guess, uh, Facebook on there, but yeah, uh, he, yeah, that's what we have: yeah, Facebook pages and Facebook. news yeah. uh, consolidators. So, yeah. and then uh, BJJ News is on there. That's a that's a nice website. It just kind of um, you can go there every day. It's got every day. It's got a new update, and um, it just has kind of the headlines of what's going on in the world of BJJ. Yeah, and then the last one is uh, blogs, and you know we've we get a lot of stuff from blogs uh, that we use for our article of the week. Um, 
you know, lately we've been uh, uh, with a Jujitology. Yeah. Uh, so we've been getting a lot of stuff there. I really love that blog. So, uh, you know, check those out. And learningbjj.com is, a, is another one we, l- we like to frequent. And there's there's just tons of blogs out there. And, yeah. and uh, the uh, Mark Mullen is on, you know, he's the UAC Baja blog. He's, he's wrote a yeah. bunch for them. And, yeah. and Samuel Spiegelman's done a bunch of work that he's also going to be on the podcast pretty soon. So. Yeah. And, yeah, so definitely remember Mark Mullen in a couple of weeks is going to be on here. So uh, definitely check that out. Absolutely. Well, Gary, I think that wraps up the article. It's on GracieBaha.com, or I'll just put a link to it in the show notes. Either way you want to get to it, it's put out April 21st, yeah, I think or it's 24th, time. so yeah, if 24th. you want to put it that way. I think it's time to get on the meat and potatoes of the show Jay Bell. Jay Bell. Now, here we go. He is the most interesting grappler in the world. A group of scientists teamed up to study his competition videos. Einstein refused to continue research because of its destructive power. He once choked out an opponent using only his Wi-Fi connection. When he models for gay companies, he uses only his bad side. He only gets ringworm on his ring finger. I don't always listen to podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the BJJ Brick Podcast. Stay sweaty, my friends. All right, my friends, I'm happy to bring Jay Bell to the BJJ Brick Podcast. Jay, how's it going? It's going very well. I'm happy to be here. Happy to have you here. Uh, looking forward to the conversation we're going to have. Could you kind of tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I, uh, I run a school called Gracie Farmers Valley, which is located in central Connecticut. I've been training jiu-jitsu for just about 15 years. Uh, I went from white belt up to brown under Hoist Gracie, and uh, you know, currently I train under Marcel Stambowski and Rob Kahn. Cool. Um, what got you started there? Well, I watched you know, the first UFC when I was still in yeah. high school. I saw this you know, skinny Brazilian guy named Hoist Gracie you know, beat all these guys in what appeared to me to be a somewhat anticlimactic fashion. I couldn't really understand it, to be honest with you. And I was a uh, you know, high school wrestler, and so I thought it was pretty interesting. Um, fast forward a few years, about the year 2000, one of my best friends on a whim decided to enter this mixed martial arts contest. Uh, at that point in time, uh, it was actually open hand striking only was legal in Massachusetts. So I went and watched him. Every single fight except his, the jiu-jitsu guy won. Somehow he got lucky and knocked the guy out with a palm strike, which was bizarre. And then between watching all those jiu-jitsu guys win the fights and watching my best friend knock somebody out, I was like, one, jiu-jitsu looks pretty cool, and two, I really don't want my best friend to be able to beat me up. So <laughs> I started jiu-jitsu the next week. That's cool. That's, uh, that's, it's similar to a lot of stories in the fact that, uh, you know, you see Hoist out there doing his thing and that motivates you. And then usually you don't sign up for jiu-jitsu the next day. You know, there's a little bit of a lag time in there. But your, your buddy uh, do, doing well, a little bit different way than everybody else, that's kind of funny. Yeah, so, well, there was nothing around at the time. So, I mean, when Hoist was fighting, you know, in the East Coast, yeah. you know, there was no jiu-jitsu anywhere that anyone was aware of. And even when I started, so, you know, you're talking 2000, um, you know, I, I made a bunch of calls. Nobody knew uh, about anything about Brazilian jiu-jitsu at the time. Um, you know, the, web's, you know the, the web wasn't really what it is now. And uh, I ended up looking up a, a judo club and told them what I wanted to do because I couldn't find any jiu-jitsu. And they told me, hey, you know, I think there's this, you know, Hoist Gracie affiliate in West Hartford. And then from there, I basically drove to West Hartford, drove around, 
found the place, walked in, and then it was kind of on from there. I think it was the first school, if not the first, maybe one of two schools in the state at that time. Now, 15 years later, I mean, God, you throw a rock, you can get a school around here. Yeah. Thinking back uh, to the guys you used to train with uh, back then, do much of them still train? Um, surprisingly, a, a large number of them still train. Yeah. So uh, many of us that trained together at that point in time all run different schools across the state. So it's, a, it's basically still kind of a cool. brotherhood. So even though I'm not with uh, the Hoist affiliate, that kind of got busted up a little bit probably in 2007, 2006. Um, but the number of the guys that I was with back in 2000, I got one. Brad Wolfson runs a school uh, under Marcio down in Hamden. Uh, Dustin Rhodes runs a school in Watertown. Uh, Charlie McShane runs a school in Norwich. I mean, there's you know, Josh Hester runs a school in Colchester, and we're all still really good friends. Uh, we all still train together regularly. I mean, we have a brotherhood of jiu-jitsu in Connecticut. I mean, there's so many schools, and we get together on a regular basis. It's it's really uh, it's an amazing thing. That's cool. It, uh, you know, you look at the students in any given uh, like a year of attendance, and a lot of them come and go. But it seems like that when you first walk in the door. Uh, some of those guys are are there for a like the long haul, and and that's that's the way I was with me and Gary trained together. From he beat me by like a month getting in the door there or so. But it's like look at that small group of guys, and a lot of them still trained. It's just like your passion for it was so much back then. You know, you had to go out and try to find it. It was hard to get to, um, and, and you really stuck with it. I mean, if it was just like across the street, maybe you wouldn't have had such a passion for it. Like it'd be more just a thing that you did on the whim. But you really had a desire for it, and so did everybody else there. Like that's. It's fun to be in that kind of a passionate environment. Even back then when it was harder to train, you know, get, good, like, really nice instruction and there weren't as many high-level people around. But uh, that's, that's yeah, it. Yeah, when I first started, again, there's people that came from, you know, a couple hours away. And I yeah. think the, the one school that was around in the East Coast before us was uh, Gracie Thornwood. So that's where Rob Kahn was teaching. And, you know, I don't know if you know Rob Kahn. He is a freaking animal. And, uh, so uh, you know, he was the first purple belt I ever even saw. It's absolutely terrifying. I think I've been training about a year and a half before I ever met him, and it was uh, frightening to say the least. <laughs> That's funny. That, that that puts like a little uh, a thing in your head, like uh, how how good somebody is. Like I remember the same thing. Like I remember the first time we had a, a guest pro belt come in, and it was like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. But uh, that's cool. Can you describe your style of jiu-jitsu, what you like to play, what type of game? So my style is, uh, if I'm in a bad position, I'm about the laziest jiu-jitsu player in the world. So, uh, <laughs> almost like I, I want to go to sleep. So I'll just wait, relax. I'm not uh, scrambling or super active to try and immediately escape the position. Uh, typically, I wait for the individual to continue to try and advance their position or go for an attack, which is, you know, provides me an opportunity to escape. And then when I'm in a dominant position, you know, to kind of quote uh, one of my instructors, Rob Kahn, when you're in a dominant position, be dominant. Lots of pressure, lots of head pressure. I force my opponents to make a mistake, and I capitalize on the mistake. I like that. I've never heard that before. When you're in a dominant position, be dominant. Don't just be in the position. Really dominate that position. That's cool. Yeah, if you have an idea. So, I mean, if you know how to make someone move in a certain direction. So, for example, you're on top in, in side control, and you apply head pressure. So, you know, their head's facing away from you, and so they can't turn towards you. There's only a couple directions they can go. So you've minimized their number of options they have. So if you're just sitting on them in side control, let's say they have 20 different things they can do. Now that you have that head pressure, maybe there's three things they can do. You know what those three things are, and you have 15 different counters for each of those three things. Jay, when you say that uh, you have like a lazy, uh, when you're when you're in bad position, I, I've done uh, like a drill 
where somebody has a good position, side control mount, whatever, and and the person in the bad position just has to try to like to do the bare minimum of effort to not get submitted. No, don't worry about skip. Just kind of find that zone which like you're you're kind of safe, and then like try to avoid that that zone where they're going to land their submission for sure, and just kind of not even you know work all that hard. Just just kind of try to stay safe. It's kind of an interesting drill, and and you definitely like people aren't able to relax in that in in mount or sight control they they really like that ability a lot of times but that drills helped me realize that just because i'm in in this bad position i don't need to like freak out the entire time i need to to be aware of like okay he's setting something up he's getting closer now i need to go now or it's gonna be too late help me find that little bit of a range and it's like you say lazy in bad positions but that, that helps you uh stay relaxed and i think you'll see more that way too yeah, the more the more relaxed you can stay in bad positions, you know, I think the better off you're going to be. Um, you know, with uh, the sportive aspect of jiu-jitsu, which is you know it's fun, it's exciting. You're out there and you get an opportunity to compete. Um, but when you think about jiu-jitsu as a form of you know, pure self-defense and you know, kind of the root of the way I practice, is that the more relaxed you can be, the better. I'm not in a hurry to escape. Right? I'm just looking to protect myself and then waiting for my opportunity. Cool. Could you tell me a little bit about your school and, and what you got going on over there? So again, my school is uh, Gracie Farmington Valley. It's located uh, right in central Connecticut. Uh, I've been teaching in Connecticut for probably uh, 12 out of the 15 years I've been training. And then I opened the school about four years ago. I have all in between kids and adults, probably about 60 to 70 different students. Uh, one of the cool things about it is a number of the guys that I trained with you know, back when I started, some of those guys are actually still with me. So I have students with me that have been training with me and under me for you know, 12, 13 years. Um, good group of guys. Basically, I look at it as a family. My kids train there. My wife trains there. All my best friends train there. Um, you know, it's it's basically my favorite place to be in the world. To be honest with you. Cool. And what do you do off the mat? Off the mat, I'm a, I'm an insurance geek. You know, everybody's dream. You want to grow up and, and work in insurance. So <laughs> I'm a, it's a junior executive at an insurance company in Hartford, the, the land of insurance. So I work about. 60 hours a week wow two kids and then I, I run a, a school so how, how do you uh, find balance with I mean working that much and then uh, also running a school and could you kind of give me some insight on how that works yeah, I think it's similar to probably the majority of the guys listening to the podcast so you know, most of the folks listening you know try and train at least you know three times a week some many many times more if they can um, but the majority of people have to earn an income alright so I'm the same way uh, I've always worked while I was doing jiu-jitsu. The only change is that, you know, I opened a school. So there's definitely some administrative and some additional time constraints. But I'd be training anyways. So whether I owned a school or not, I'd still be training somewhere, likely teaching. Uh, I just decided that, you know, as much as I enjoyed training some other places I've trained at in the past, I wanted a place that was home, a place that my kids could train at. So I had a little more control in terms of what we were doing, how we were doing it and then bring my best friends there to train with me and then, you know, invite my instructors, other people that I, I look up to and I admire and bring them in to you know, help us get better. And uh, it, Again, if I wasn't running the school, I'd, I'd be traveling somewhere else to train, so it just made it a little bit easier to be honest with you. Cool. It's actually saving you a little bit having the, the school you don't have to, have to drive as far, it sounds yeah, like. So. It'd be one thing if uh, it's, it's a little different, so I, I, it was never my goal necessarily to say, okay, I'm going to leave my job, yeah. good job. I'm going to leave my job and, and run a school full time. And that's a, that's a daunting, a daunting task or a daunting uh, proposition. I have a few friends that have done it and done it well. 
uh, for me, it was I know I'm going to train. If I have my own place, it just makes it a little bit easier. To be honest with you, I was lucky that one of my students is a phenomenal, uh, you know, stand-up martial artist. So he runs the, the stand-up classes, and he also uh, runs the kids' classes for me. And then uh, I come in and, and teach all the adult jiu-jitsu classes. And then we do regular uh, women's self-defense uh, seminars for free. We do usually one of those every three to four months. And then uh, we do free seminars for local law enforcement. Um, and then any you know municipality, if they have something they want to do, you know, for firefighters or other police officers, we'll do that for free too. Cool. Uh, how how do you uh, how's the turnout on the uh, like the like the police and the women's self defense uh, seminars? Uh, the women's self defense seminars usually, I think the, the lightest one we've ever had was probably about twelve. Uh, normally, we get about thirty people. Wow, give or take twenty to thirty people. Um, a lot of the folks are the same folks. It's actually helped us in building, uh, you know, a woman's class. So we had some challenges there initially. It's pretty daunting sometimes to get women into uh, into jiu-jitsu. Um, so when we started doing those women's self-defense seminars and the ladies started seeing it and, and recognizing the value and the empowerment that they can get from learning some of these skills, uh, we were able to uh, start a women's class. In fact, one of the guys who trains with us, his wife trains as well. She's been training for a while. So she helps to run our women's class and got my wife to start it took me 14 years but i got her to start and she actually loves it now uh, my daughter who's five trains and my son trains um yeah so it's been pretty good that's cool and what is your your goal or what, what do you like to see out of the kids program so the kids program to be honest with you i like what uh henry and Huron do with the the bullyproof yeah so we kind of start there so we play a lot of jiu-jitsu games and i'd say probably when we started for the first Six to eight months, I think that's predominantly what we did. So we had some challenges initially in kind of you know, really getting the kids to do you know, true jiu-jitsu, so we just played games. And then we had a couple kids. It really takes one or two that really get into it and want to learn. And we had one or two that really just got the jiu-jitsu bug and really wanted to kind of get to that next level. And so those two little girls, sweethearts, one of them's uh, 10, one of them's 7, Holly and Leah, and... Uh, they, they really just took to it. And then from there, the, the other kids look up to them and see what they're doing, and they start modeling their behavior. So once you have a few kids that really want to get better, everybody else wants to follow suit. You know, nobody wants to get left behind. And so we went from you know, having three or four kids, I think, in the kids' class when we first started, and now I think we have about 15, 16. And you know, we had a few that just went to a recent tournament, did phenomenally well. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's really kind of grown. And what I look for, we want to teach them the basic self-defense skills, all right. And when we have them roll, we don't do a lot of submissions. We'll, we'll show them some of those before they go to tournaments, obviously. But it's really all about positional dominance yeah. and being able to handle your opponent. Is could you describe some of the like the principles? Maybe you just did of the uh, bullyproof system or program. One is uh, the three T's, which I like a lot. You know, talk, tell, and tackle. You know, so if somebody's bothering you, giving you a hard time, you know, trying to do something to you, you talk to them, tell them to leave you alone. You know, don't you know, don't push me, you don't touch me, you know, you know, don't call me names, etc. Uh, the second one's tell. So you can go to a teacher, um, a parent, uh, adult authority figure, you know, tell them, hey, this person's bothering me. The last one, nobody's there, or they're putting their hands on you, and there's nobody there to help you, or no adult to tell. And then we teach them essentially to tackle them, take them to the ground, and then hold them in that position until you know, help arrives or the person decides that they're going to give up and be nice to you. That sounds now, like a... You get some of these kids, you know, a little 10-year-old girl, she's yeah. on top of you and mount, and, you know, she's like a, my gosh, she's like an octopus. She's <laughs> right to you, you can get her off. It's great. 
<laughs> some some little kid just picked a a, a fight with a eighty pound little hoist Gracie that's that's all over him on the playground. They had no idea. Oh my god, <laughs> that's cool. So uh, talk, tell, and tackle. Not necessarily um, like three steps, but like you only do the tackle when there's no other option, right? Exactly right. Exactly cool. right. So what what advice would you have for somebody? Um, who was in maybe a similar situation as yourself and thinking about starting their own school? Well, I'd really encourage them to think about you know, what it is they're looking to get out of it. So is it just that you want your own school for you know, convenience because you, know, you want to do your own thing, you want to have control over you know, your jiu-jitsu career, uh, you know, how you train, where you train, etc.? Or is it something that you want to do to, to earn a living? You know, for the first one, it's fairly easy. It's just a matter of, you know, do you have the financial means in order to do it, right? And there's two kind of paths you can take. So if you have a big chunk of money, congratulations for you, then it's simple, right? You can get down, plunk a bunch of money down, <laughs> find a place, get the mats. You know, you're up and running you know, with zero students to start with, and, you know, hopefully you can get somebody in the door and build it from scratch. For most people, you know, either you've already taught for a long time and you have a bit of a following, and maybe you can have some of those folks go with you, and you know, hopefully without burning any bridges. Or two, you go and you find, you know, one of the more traditional martial arts schools that's a little bit more open-minded, that has open time, on, you know, on their uh, you know, on their schedule. You go in there and you, you work out a deal, usually for you know, something close to peanuts. Maybe give them, you know, their students free training, and you slowly start to build up a clientele. And then from there, you look at opening a place. I'd say you probably need, at least from my view, if you really want to open your own place at your own facility, etc., you probably need 15 to 20 people to start to make it worthwhile. You know, I was lucky that I had a fair number of students that came over day one when I opened my place. But again, I'd been teaching in the region you know, for over 10 years prior to that, or at least close to 10 years prior to that. Um, and so I think we we're, were in the black probably within two months. It was very, very lucky. That's cool, and you. But your primary goal is, like you said, you had a you have a full time job, and that's you have an income. So, you you like to teach, and you like to, to have a place to train, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, there's you know one of my students once opened his own place. I'm working with him now, and again, we're taking that same philosophy that you know we're looking at. Um, you, know, you need to understand the demographics of the area you're going to be in. You know what your competition, if any, is going to be. And then you try and find a spot and then build a clientele. So, you know, one of my guys, um, phenomenal brown belt, you know, we actually have, are looking at a few different places in the state. And keep in mind, there's a ton of places nowadays, but there's a few metropolitan areas that don't have schools. And so we're looking for some of those traditional martial arts schools. And we'll get them in there. You know, people will see how good he is. He'll build a clientele. And then, you know, year to three years, he's got enough students. He's got some cash saved up. He opens up his own place and he's off to the races. Cool. Do you think that, like in a in a small city that doesn't have a jiu-jitsu school, that people that want um, to to train, like they like the same, they see a little bit of UFC or some MMA, or they've heard about jiu-jitsu, and it's not available. Do you think they do a different martial art, or do they think that they don't do anything at all and they just wait? I think some do a different martial art, to be honest with you, and I think some just hang out and don't do anything. It's a matter of it. Right now is. In some ways, it's the best time. In some ways, it's challenging. In some ways, it's the best time because obviously the UFC is exploding. Right? It's just becoming more popular. There's more people that know about it. So somebody might have an interest. You know, they might have a friend of a friend that actually trains that they can talk to him about. But maybe that school is really far away, so it's not convenient. So it's a matter of trying to find a place that can work with their schedule, where their schedule meets their schedule, and that's close enough where they can actually make it work. 
Um, I think that's part of it. And obviously, if you can get a kids program going, then that's huge because then you're building future students down the road. And then you know, one of my uh, you know, one of my friends, Robin Nafrio, who uh, who's down in uh, Florida, he's one of Rob Khan's black belts. He's actually got a uh, like a kids camp that he does in the summer, and he's got like a like almost like a daycare. So he picks kids up from school. And if you know, if your goal is to do this for a living, then kids is where the majority of the money is. If you don't have a kids program and you want to make money and you actually want to make a living doing jujitsu, unless you're a world champion, you better figure out how to get the kids. And you know, those programs are really where it's at, from what I've seen. Cool. And and people. Kids take classes. They do things like that where their parents expect them to spend money. Either the kid's going to do gymnastics or piano lessons or jiu-jitsu. And a lot of times the parents are out for whatever the kid wants to do. They're expecting to, to you know, to pay money and to, to help with the transportation if need be. But that's cool that he has a way to pick them up. But, um, yeah, and then you get a kid that falls in love with it. They've got a sport for life. You know, that's, that's a, a long-term growth strategy, I think. Yeah, you, and again, you know, those kids grow up to be adults that train jiu-jitsu if they fall in love with it. And the other thing that people don't think about, but what I've experienced, is sometimes you bring the kids in, and the parents become your friends, right? So, you know, my kids are in the class, so I'm you know, sitting next to her, I'm helping teach or teaching the class, and you know, I'm talking to the parents, and I might say, hey, why don't you come over here and you know, help me out with this, and I show them what they're doing, and then all of a sudden the dad's like, well, you know, what would it cost if I wanted to train too? <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, yeah, come on, you know, jump in, try it, see what you think. And then the mom's like, well, you have a women's class? And then all of a sudden I have the entire family training there. So I have multiple families where every single person pretty much in the family trains at the school. And, and I think part of that's the vibe, right? So, you know, if you have a family atmosphere and it's welcoming and open, um, it just almost starts to naturally happen. I mean, granted, not every parent is going to want to train, but, you know, one out of ten, they're going to start to get in there. And then the more people you have through the doors that have a positive experience, whether they like to stay or not, you know, the more, you know, positive feedback that you're getting out in the community, the more people are going to hear about you and want to come and check you out. What are some things that you do that, that maybe that somebody else wouldn't or maybe mess up that would create a positive first experience for somebody? So I think uh, I have a very laid-back approach. Yeah. All right, so um, I don't have any formality really whatsoever. The kids' classes have a little bit, so we want them to bow in because there's part of a character development and respect piece that you know I think parents expect when they bring kids to the martial arts, so we have a bit of that in the kids' class. Um, in the adults class, I treat people with respect. Everybody calls me by their first name. You don't call me professor. You don't call me master. I'm a person just like you are. I've just been doing it longer. Um, and I think when I tell people when they walk in the doors, like, listen, like the people here are my best friends. All right? This is my family. All right? um, you know, I'd do anything for pretty much anybody who's been here more than six months. And they'd do pretty much anything for anybody else who's been here for six months. Once you've kind of passed that six-month barrier, you remember the family. You know, before that, hey, we like you, you're great, but you know, you got to prove to us you're going to stick around, and once you prove you're going to stick around, then you know, that's it, you're in. We socialize together, um, you know, we have kind of big parties in the summer uh, where everybody brings in like a potluck, and you know, you got their friends are invited, a bunch of bits and people come in, Again, we do uh, a bunch of free uh, community outreach type things in terms of helping the women and the, the police departments, etc. It's just about trying to do things for the community. We, uh, we donate uh, free memberships to local charities, like autism charities and things like that. But we're just trying to show people that you know, we're trying to give back to the community. Cool. You mentioned that uh, it seems like after about six months, somebody will stick around. Um, and then you always hear like the thing that a blue belt 
is is more likely to to, to not to stop coming to class after they get their blue belt. Have you experienced that? I haven't experienced that at all, to be honest. Oh, that's good. Um, I was going to ask you. Yeah, my school is extremely high. Um, I, I, six months to me is kind of cut off. Um, I'd say, with very few exceptions, those people that I know that have quit after six months typically have only quit due to major life changes. Divorce, um, they have to move, obviously. They have kids, and, and a lot of times when they have kids, they'll end up coming back eventually. But, you know, there's a major life change that necessitates them to sacrifice something. And jiu-jitsu is, is you know, integral as it is to, to my life and, you know, I'm assuming your life. You know, it, it's not the first priority for everybody. They may love it, but, you know, there's other things that take precedence. Yeah, it, absolutely. That's cool. I, I'm glad you haven't experienced that. It seems like some people do experience blue belts getting discouraged or kind of dropping off. But uh, it's cool that you haven't had that uh, that happened to your place. That's good. Usually you can spot those guys, I think. Um, we have kind of a, a, an informal rule that we talk about at the school. So we have a, a douchebag ratio. <laughs> so we never want the douchebag ratio to get over 20%. I mean, you need a little bit of the douchebag in the school so that you have some realistic training at times. So you have those guys that are great guys, but they roll like douches. So I can handle that to a, to a point as long as that ratio doesn't get too high. I think that helps uh, keep the environment of the school where you want it to be. <laughs> That's funny. You, you need you need a couple of those roles with guys that, that are going to knee in the head and not say sorry or you send you a good elbow on accident and, and not think anything of it. Uh, it, it keeps yeah, you, I'm it, all for the keep it playful, but you can't keep it playful all the time. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to go at it. Um, you know, you need a mixture. And so you need those guys like... You know, one of my black belts, one of the best friends I'm training with him forever, he's a great guy, he rolls like a maniac. Not with the lower level belts, but when he and I roll together, I mean, we're, we're like best friends and we try and kill each other yeah. every time. So I know when we're rolling, it's war, right? It's just, but if, if he wasn't there, I wouldn't have that, I wouldn't be where I, where I am now. And we've constantly challenged each other, you know, over the last several years. Can you, you got your black belt in 2010? Can you think of something that you've learned since that uh, about jiu-jitsu that you didn't really realize before that? I've learned way more since getting my black belt than I did before. Way more. Uh, I've learned some of the most simplistic basics. And I'll give you an example. I went to, I still go to seminars. I go to seminars whenever I can. I went to a Henry Aiken seminar recently, and he uh, showed me something with uh, just posture within the guard that changed the way I thought about it. Every time Rob Kahn comes up, he shows me something else that blows my mind, or actually Marcio. I'm constantly learning. I think as you you know more, you're able to recognize the mistakes better. So you're able to appreciate the finer level of details that maybe you didn't even think about when you're a purple belt or brown belt. Right? When you're a brown belt, you're just trying to get that one plot perfect, or you're trying to work on your transitions. Right? Then you're a black belt, and you're a black belt for three, four, five years, ten years, who knows, whatever. And then now there's this little subtle change in weight by a degree, and it makes all the difference in the world. So I think my game has changed dramatically since getting my black belt. In fact, by the time I was a brown belt, I may have caught, when I, when I was a brown belt, so this is 2008, 2009, I may have caught two guillotines in my entire jiu-jitsu career at that point. It was, it was pathetic. I mean, I had some stuff I was really good at. Yeah. The guillotines weren't one of them. And then working with, I worked with Marco De Lima, Rob Conn, a couple other guys that tweaked a few things, and I'm like, I, I gotta get good at this. And for the next six to ten months, it's the only thing I went for. 
and then I developed that piece of it. And so I'm much more focused in the way I train now. That I'm, when every time I'm in the mat, I have a, a purpose. There's something that I want to work on or I want to get better at. And that focused training is something I never even really considered until after I had my brow belt. Yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of the focus training, and um, I'm going to class tonight, and I'm going to have a couple things I'm going to work out, work on, and hopefully I'll get to the positions to get to, to work on those, but I think it does help you uh, develop your game uh, a lot quicker and a lot more effectively uh, if you've got, today I'm working on triangles, and you do that for more than a day, you do that for like a month or six months or whatever, like you said with your guillotines. You, you didn't just, your guillotine didn't happen until until uh, you've been training for a long time it, if it was just like a random event uh it would have happened by now you know what i mean like you need to put some focus onto it get a little bit more instruction with it and now you've got a great guillotine like waves right so you think about jiu-jitsu i think about waves so you know you go up you go down you go up you go down as long as you're continuing to evolve it's, it's a positive experience and you you're a big fan of like breaking down uh like complex ideas into smaller uh, smaller things. Can you give an example of something like that? Yeah. So I, you know, the way I think about it is, um, you know, I'm not that smart. So if if I can if I can understand it and explain it, then anybody can get it. So one thing I think about when you're in someone's guard, right? So obviously the way your hips are positioned is going to impact your posture, and the way your legs are positioned is going to impact your posture. But a lot of times when people are putting their hands on somebody else, right? So you, when your hands are on the person, so you know what I'm talking about. So you're, you're, you have good posture, your hands yeah. on the, on the body of your partner where you place your hands has a huge impact so i call it the kickstand theory so a lot of times people will grab right at the belt line right but if you think right at the belt line that's where your hips pivot so i don't care how strong you are if you're holding directly at the belt line by my hips i can break your posture and bring you forward if you have your hand out on an angle right and i try and bring you forward now it's going to be difficult If I can get your hand directly underneath your shoulder so your weight comes forward and your shoulder is directly over your hand on my body, I can break your posture. But if you keep that kickstand in that kickstand type position, now it allows you to keep me from coming up. It makes it more difficult for me to break your posture. So are you putting that, do you like the hand more on the bicep or just upper body somewhere or does it matter? Typically, I I probably roll at this point maybe 50-50 nogi, 50-50 gi, but even my gi game, I don't tend to use a lot of grips. So what I'll do is I like to have, um, let's say if I want to pass or open the guard on my left-hand side, I'll have the, the ridge of my, my left arm inside the knee of my partner, and I'll have my hand kind of in the center of the chest. Okay, cool. That makes sense. The, I like the, the breakdown, the analysis of the kickstand. It, so everybody knows what a kickstand is, like on a bicycle. And if your kickstand was right next to your wheel and it didn't like go out at all, your bike's going to fall over. It doesn't... You might as well not even have it, but you put it out there at an angle, it's going to hold your bike up, provided the wind doesn't come from the wrong way. But uh, it's a good uh, good way to kind of explain uh, that concept. You've got uh, a lot of videos on YouTube. Can you tell me a little bit about your YouTube channel? Yeah, so that was, uh, it was a bit of a whim, to be honest with you. I think I started it in 2009. I was teaching some morning classes at the school that I was teaching at the time. And just uh, started making videos occasionally here and there. We had like a website we did for a while. In addition to that, where we wrote some articles. Um, ended up you know, shutting down the website just because it was taking up too much time. I shut it down when I opened the school. And uh, I think now we have about 250 videos. We had over a million views. Strangely enough, like close to 5,000 subscribers. It just kind of caught on. And then I've uh, you know recently started putting a lot more videos up. 
think I kind of got away from it for a while because again, you know, life gets uh, busy at times. But um, it was just interesting to, to get a lot of positive feedback. I was surprised because again, I started it when I was a brown belt. I just did it for the heck of it, and I, I've got a lot of people that have reached out to me and said that I've helped them, you know, change their game or you know, that they really enjoyed some of the stuff that was out there. Baron, I've had a few, uh, you know, negative some negative feedback occasionally as well, but you know, it's all good. It's yeah, a really positive experience. Yeah, if you don't get any negative feedback at all, you're not uh, not doing enough work, I think. Uh, some of it's wildly <laughs> entertaining too. It's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just yeah, I mean, the way I look gotten, at it, yeah. And the way I look at it is, uh, what I tell people is, uh, I'm never going to be the best black belt. Right? I'm never going to be the worst, but I'm, I'm damn well going to work as, as much as I can to be as good as I can be. That's that's all I can do. Yeah, I remember. Um kind of a, a similar maybe a little different story uh a guy that i that i trained with a while back and he's a little bit older guy and he got his blue belt and he really felt like he didn't blue, deserved a blue belt he's a, he's smaller he he's older and, and just he'd been training hard and long enough but he he just didn't feel like he belonged with those guys and i was like i told him that this is the blue belt version of you and this is what you're a blue belt you have to trust your instructor but um, this is you at blue belt level. You know, don't worry about other people. That's that's a different thing. And uh, kind of you saying that about about you're going to be the best black belt you're going to be able to be, kind of reminded me of that. Yeah, I mean, you have to trust your instructor. I mean, if you're going to somebody and you're saying you're trusting them to teach you uh, this phenomenal art, right? Yeah. Um, it, uh, you have to trust them, and they're they're the ones making the call. I mean, you can't. You know, you're your own harshest critic, typically. Right? Yeah. So if you trust your instructor, you've got to believe in them when they give you that belt. Right? So when I got my black belt, I was like, are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> There's no way. But guess what? It wasn't my call. Right? I'm not going to disrespect him by taking the thing off you crazy. So I was inspired to get better so that I could be worthy of, of the belt that I was wearing. And besides, you're only, I think that first day when you get the belt... That's not as good as you're going to be at that belt. No. You'll be there for a while. Yeah. And, you know, promotions don't come fast in jiu-jitsu. To me, 10 years ago, my black belt. You know, you're not ripping through these belts unless you're one of the phenoms they have nowadays. Right? So if you don't think you deserve your blue belt today, then bust your ass and deserve it tomorrow. I like that. That's a, that's a good uh, philosophy to have with that. What, what advice would you have for a, a student that's in their first, um, that's entered into their first tournament? First, I guess it depends on why you're doing the tournament, right? So why are you competing? Um, if you're doing it for the heck of it, great. If you're doing it because you want to be like, you know, the next Keenan Cornelius, you know, that's great too. Um, I'd say a couple things. One, do whatever you can to relax. Don't go crazy with weight cutting for your first tournament. I think that's silly. Right? You want to go out there and have a good time, be safe, and enjoy yourself. Right? Try and take winning out of the equation. Right? You know, if you want to be the next phenom, that's great. You don't have to win every match at white belt level to become the next phenom. You can go out there, get a little bit of experience, get more comfortable, and as you get more comfortable, then you start to tighten up your game plan. If you've already had a few tournaments, then it's different. Then you can't go into a tournament without a plan. Right? If it's your first one, I still want guys to have a plan because right? I think it makes it easier. Anything that you have a plan for in life, the outcome's probably going to be a little bit better. So I want them to think through what the best possible scenario is going to be for them in their mind, and then I'm going to have them drill it like crazy. Right? And when they feel really, really solid with it, so they're kind of using their A game, then we'll start to look at you know, permutations or you know, situations where you may find yourself if things go a little bit off kilter, and then we start drilling that as well. well. Cool. What would you say to a student who uh, may be a white or blue belt 
and and you could see that they already have the goal that they that they want to be a black belt someday. How, how would you help them out? So it depends on kind of where their level is at, right? So white or blue belt, but even in a white or blue belt, there there's so many different degrees and different levels. What I try and tell people, and I think it's difficult for everyone, there's only maybe one in a hundred that you should get it right away, is when you're here, you don't have to win in training. Right? I mean, everybody loves to catch the other guy. That's great. You know, that, that's kind of the goal when you're training. You want to you catch the guy, get that. But it's not about winning in training. It's about getting better. So the more I can relax now, early on, and really think about person with my jiu-jitsu as opposed to with all my other attributes the better off you're going to be i think it's more of a struggle with big guys because you know there's they have a, a, an ability to move people around and get on top and smash that some of the smaller guys don't so typically the smaller guys pick it up a little bit faster out of necessity but for a mid-sized guy big-sized guy that, that, that's a pretty significant challenge uh I'll, I'll stick with the big guy thing like the bigger students have a different uh, pr- journey in jiu-jitsu anyway how are what would you tell like a big student who's having a hard time grasping some of the concepts of jiu-jitsu and they're they uh they want to avoid using their size and strength but it seems to be a difficult thing sometimes so i'm about 215 give or take okay. right? so i guess in some circles i'm big but you know i got guys in my school i got a guy who's well over 300 pounds i got a guy who's like six foot eight he's about 270 and so you know, we encounter that uh, you know, pretty regularly with some of these guys. And I have a few other guys, obviously, like 250, 260. And, and the question I have from early on is, like, you know, do you want to get good at jiu-jitsu or do you want to beat people up? Right. So I'm pretty, <laughs> you know, I'm pretty straightforward with it. Yeah. I'm like, what do you want to do? you want to get good at this art or do you want to come in and beat the crap out of a bunch of people? And, you know, most of them say they want to get good at the art. If they don't, they're probably not going to stick around very long. And I said, okay, well, if you want to get good at the art, then stop trying to beat the shit out of everybody. You know, think about relaxing. Try and pretend you weigh the same as them. You don't have to be on top all the time, right? Play with your partner a little bit, right? And then as you get better, right? I mean, you know, some other guys are big, and you can start to dial it up and turn it, you know, turn it up. Your size isn't going to go away, right? You're not going to go from 300 pounds to 150 pounds tomorrow. It's not going to happen, right? So you're still going to have those other attributes. The same thing if you have a you know, 180-pound guy who's jacked out of his mind. He's you know, he's ripped, you know. Put the strength aside for now, and then when you get better and you're going against more competitive guys, you know, then you start to bring those attributes back into the equation. Cool. And then I yeah. start to, you know, I set them up in drilling certain techniques, and I force it, right? and I kind of get on them a little bit. So I watch those guys and try and, you know, be that little voice in the back of their head. Right? Sometimes they can think of, you know, they hear it without me saying stuff. Sometimes <laughs> I'm actually standing at them saying, "Hey, could be in a spaz." Yeah, use your technique and slow slow down and and uh, don't, don't muscle everybody. I like your idea of do you want to get good at jiu-jitsu or just beat people up and 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 really they have to confront the idea that to get good at jiu-jitsu you don't just go beating everybody up. That's not going to really help you in the long run. Yeah. Not easy for everybody. I mean, I had the same issue when I started. You know, when I first went in, you know, I, I, I wanted to learn this awesome martial art and you know, get really good at it. And I think I rolled with this guy who was like 130 pounds and beat the hell out of me. And I was like, what the hell is going on? And he told me, he's like, listen, he's like, you're tough and, you know, you're, you're a strong guy, whatever, but uh, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to suck forever. I was like, oh, all right. And it kind of stuck with me. And then I started, you know, not constantly trying to smash everybody, 
and I started playing a lot more bottom game for a while and just being more relaxed and, and trying to actually learn the art. And that's really when, I mean, I loved it from day one, but when I started trying to learn the art, that's when everything kind of opened up for me, to be honest. Take me back to, to when you were a blue belt. Um, what was what were you like back then, and, and how, uh, how were times different? So when I was a blue belt, I'm trying to think. So when I first started... My coach was a blue belt, and then I saw Hoyce probably four or five times a year, and then saw Hadarigo maybe once or twice a year. Um, so I got my blue belt actually pretty quick in six months, and so I was I knew like the basic self defense. Um, I had just probably started to play guard a fair amount, and then uh, kind of what changed my game in some ways. I saw this crazy video from Stefan Kesting video on the Umaplata. And basically, I think from blue belt through most of purple belt, I was a guard player that did all sorts of stuff with Laplatas, and that, that kind of became my game. Um, you know, I was bigger than probably three quarters of the guys I trained with. There's a few guys that are much bigger than me, um, but I just stopped trying to always get on top and smash people. Just kind of sat back, played guard, and went for Laplatas. Uh, and then I trained back then. My God, I trained like six to eight times a week. But we had classes on Tuesday, Thursday night, and Sunday. And there was also Tuesday and Thursday morning classes. And I was working for the phone company at the time. I would drive to my buddy's school, like, usually three or four times a week and train with him over my lunch break. And it was just all-consuming, right? It was, it was all I could think about. Cool. I think that's common for for that stage. It's just like it, you're, yeah. you're kind of like opening that book. You get, get to read a little bit of it, and it becomes amazing. And you just want more. I think that's that's a common so much more. Yeah, it's more available to people now. I mean, when I was first started, there wasn't all these videos. You didn't see all these matches. I didn't have access to see all these amazing grapplers doing all these amazing things. Uh, it just, it, it, I mean, God, if I talk to people about the UFC, they thought I was a serial killer. <laughs> and now it's popular. You have people in the office that are talking about it all the time, and they know that I train. So, like, hey, Jay, did, you know, you know, you know, what do you think of, you know? Conor McGregor or John Jones or Ronda Rousey. It's just a totally different environment. Yeah. We, we talked a little bit about having a uh, first student to, to go in there with some kind of a plan. Um, what, what would be some tips for helping a student pick out a game plan? So, actually, it's, it's interesting to say that. So I was uh, working with one of my students last night. So she's competed maybe once or twice. Um, she's not very confident with her takedowns, but she doesn't want to jump guard necessarily because she's afraid she's going to hurt herself or get slammed. And so you know, we kind of sat with her and said, okay, well, you don't feel confident with your takedowns. You don't want to jump guard. So let's look at a few ways where we can get into the guard position potentially without you having to worry about you know, the anxiety of you know, getting slammed or you know, jumping and landing on your back. So showed her a couple of different techniques where we do that, how to drill that repeatedly, and then talked to her and said, okay, well, we're in a perfect world Right? If the match went exactly the way you want, what do you want to happen? Right? Think of all the moves that you're best at. Right? So if you could have every situation work exactly the way you want it, how's the match go? And so she walked me through it. So I, in a perfect world, I want this. I'm like, okay, well, then we're going to drill it. So that you're going to drill and prepare so that that's what happens. And that's what we start doing. So we said, okay, we're going to sit back in the guard in this fashion. And from there, we're going to work at this particular sweep, which is your best sweep. Once you get on top in the mount, we're going to go for your best submission. And we're going to drill it over and over and over again. And only when we feel this is as tight as it can possibly get, are we going to start thinking about, okay, well, what if we go for this and it doesn't work? What do we do from there? Cool. That's In a perfect world, how, how's your match? And then work from there and, and develop a, a game plan that helps you get through that to that position, to that match. 
I mean, if you got a tournament coming up in six months, it's not like you're going to learn to do the barambolo and, and be able to execute it against somebody who's been doing it for you know, five years. It's not going to happen. But you have some stuff in your game at that point that's your best stuff. Yep. And that's what you want to try when you're competing. You want to go your A game. Now, something may happen. There may be a transition and scramble. What have, what, you know, what have you, and you go to something else, that's fine. In the perfect world, go for your best moves and go for your best stuff. Yeah, that that was that's the original concept of BJJ brick is like you get a couple techniques and they're gonna feel like you're smashing somebody with a brick. Like it's just gonna be uh, that's how people do well in in, in competition. But in a lot of other things other than jiu-jitsu, is to have like a focused little area, and and it's gonna be uh, hopefully it'll be unstoppable for you. Uh, you don't dilly dally in in a hundred different things and, and and learn a bunch of different uh, thing, random things right before the tournament. That's not gonna be there for you. You gotta build those bricks. You, you can have like a blue belt or a purple belt have like a black belt in La Plata. Black yeah. belt in La Plata, right? They're not gonna be a black belt level. Their whole game's not gonna be at that level, right? But they could take one, two, maybe three pieces and refine them so much that, you know, in those certain positions or in those certain areas or those certain moves, they are an extremely high level. And if they can get the match into those positions, they're gonna dominate. And I think that's what we try and think about it. Absolutely. That's a good way to think of it. What would you say would be a good goal for a student their first year of training? Well, most students would probably tell you their goal would be to get their blue belt in the first year, but I don't think that's necessarily the best, uh, best goal for a student their first year. I think would be to, to train injury-free, um, enjoy the process, right, and get competent uh, in all positions. So you don't have to necessarily be a killer in all positions. You need to be competent and have two to three things that you can do from every position. And if you do that in your first year and be able to do it with some level of fluidity, then, then you're definitely on the right track. I think that that's a, a real good way to look at it, you know, competence in, in all the positions, you know, two or three moves. That way y- y- you have some options to work with. You, you're not stuck in second from the bottom with nothing to do because you don't have any idea what you're supposed to do. You have got a couple things. If it doesn't work, go to the next one. Same thing if you're in mount. You have a couple of techniques. You may not be good at them, but you have some stuff you, you're going to attempt to do, and eventually you'll be able to, to build off of that and get better. So to, to get confidence in, in all basic positions and a couple of moves from there is a really good thing to, to work on your first year. Yeah, if you, fit, if you said your first six months, all defensive positions. Yeah. Uh, be able to uh, survive. So you got to learn to survive first. You know, after you learn to survive, then you learn to escape you know, from escaping. It's then, you know, to advance your position, uh, which is similar to escaping, and then once you've, you know, once you learn how to survive, like you learn how to escape, you learn how to advance your position, then you start attacking. Sounds good. Um, as a coach, what what are some of your favorite traits of of some of your ideal students? Humility. All right. So I mean, I think uh, I've had a number of you know, fantastic students, but uh, you know, if I think of you know, the model of the perfect student is somebody who comes in, always gives everything to their training partner, right? shares everything that they know, and wants their training partner to get better. I mean, there's guys you roll with where you don't even care what their belt level is. You just, if they tack you, it makes you happy. Right? And there's other guys where you can tell like they're intense, like they, they just want to beat you. Right? They want to like show you that they're better than you. It's a different type of thing. And my favorite students are there because they want to learn, and they want to get better, and you know, they give off that love to, to all of their training partners. Right? They look at everybody in the room like a brother, right? and they do anything for them. 
and I'm blessed to have a number of students that fit that mold. Uh, how would somebody keep up with you or uh, follow you online? Yeah, so they can uh, you know they can shoot me an email at j at gracyfv dot com. It's J A Y. They can check out the Facebook page, you know, Gracie Farms Valley. Uh, they can feel free to check out the YouTube videos and you know, give me comments on what they like, what they don't like. Always trying to get better, and uh, you know, I'm happy to give people pointers or you know, just chat about jujitsu in general. Cool. Do you have a favorite YouTube video that you have up? Favorite one that I have up? Yeah. yeah. Are they all? I don't know. The last one. <laughs> okay, I'll put. I'll put a I link. My least, I have my least favorite for sure. That for some reason, I've left up for years, even though it's a little ridiculous. That's funny. I gotta. I uh, if they look around, they, they can find it. I think I've said like five times in comments that uh, it's not a very effective submission, but it's okay to kind of like distract somebody. Yeah. Uh, I'd say probably my no-gi videos are better. Uh, I love gi. I love no-gi. I think I'm a little more innovative in no-gi, to be honest with you, and I think I get a lot of that from Rob Khan and you know, Robbie D'Onofrio and those guys down in Tampa. Um, they come up and show me a bunch of stuff and it just starts my brain spinning and then I go from there. Well, cool. I'll put uh, links to all those on the show notes there and hopefully make it easier for people to find you. Cool, man. Cool. I, I appreciate the interview. It's been a lot of fun talking with you. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me. Um, you know, I listen to the podcast pretty regularly. I think what you guys are doing is cool. Mm-hmm. You know, I love the, uh, you know, listening to the different jiu-jitsu guys you have on there, the world champions. And, you know, you know, I'm not like them, but, you know, hopefully somebody can get something of value out of, of what I said and, I'll be listening to your future podcast as well, and I wish you guys uh, much success. Well, thank you, and uh, it's always good to get uh, a good coach's perspective on things, and you, you shared a lot of really good ideas and and uh, philosophies that I think people are going to be able to take with them and help them out on the mat. Cool, man. I appreciate it. All right. Well, I'll, I'll keep up with you. Have a good day, man. All right. Have a good one. Thanks. All right. That was Jay Bell. Thanks again for doing the interview. Uh He's. I mean, he, we mentioned a little bit before breaking down complicated ideas and, and topics into simple things. And then if you see watch his videos, that's you see a lot of that. And that's why, like I said, I, I really started watching those early in my career. And that's what it was. He really broke it down. Very. He broke it down so I could understand it. Yeah, I was kind of new at the time, and and it just really made sense to me. And uh, I, I owe a lot to him. I, I, I learned a lot. I've never met him and he probably has no clue who I am, but uh, I really did learn a lot from this guy. So if you want a little bit more J bell action, we've got good news for you. Not only can you go to the, his uh, YouTube channel or check him out on Facebook or whatever, but he gave our quote of the week for next week. So you're going to get a double dose, double dose. You'll too. get J bell next week too. It'll just be a little quote, but, uh, it's a good one, and uh, speaking of next week's episode, we've got an old friend coming back on the show. Not back on the show, come on the show. Guy named Chris Easter. Looking so, forward to it. Gary. <laughs> <laughs> Chris was, a, I think he was a purple belt when we started, was he? Maybe a blue. Purple or blue. Yeah. But that was back, uh, there wasn't a really a lot of people he was where the, we're he from was, to yeah. get to get promoted so uh he was phenomenal yeah back yeah back then he still is yeah he's still competing a bunch he's still he's he's had he's in the military so he's moved around the country quite a bit trained in a lot of different places um but uh i was i was telling byron a story yeah chris easter would stop by sometimes and train with us and uh 
I remember, and he was such a nice guy. He'd show you stuff, and it was just an honor to train with him. But I remember one time he was working on a, the baseball choke there, and uh, he just did it to me over and over again. I knew it was coming. He even said that's what he was going to work. And I bet I tapped out 15 times in five minutes to the same move. <laughs> and it just, you know, but stuff like that, whenever I went against somebody like that, it just made me realize this sport is awesome. I know it's coming. Yeah. And I can't stop it. Yeah. That's what's so cool about and ba- it. Back then when we, and the amazing thing is you didn't have a key on. Still, he was able to get that <laughs> choke. But uh, he, he was such a physical specimen back then. And he, he is still a very fit person, but he prides himself on uh, technique and, and having doing simple moves and not real complicated, uh, you know, fancy stuff. He's, he's the basics guy is what he says. And, yeah. and he's gotten away from trying to uh, have to be super strong. And, and 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 use that as his biggest attribute to where his technique is phenomenal. It was phenomenal back then, but now he's really focused. He's seen that the difference in his game. So definitely uh, check out next week with uh, Chris Easter. You're guaranteed to learn. Gary, we still have some gear patches we can give away if you want to write us a, a funny or just a review. If we like them when they're funny, but you write us a review on iTunes or Stitcher Radio, um, and then send us an email to. Uh, bjjbrick at gmail.com to let us know that was you um, that way we can uh, get that patch out to you yep if and we're only able to send them out to the u.s so i'm sorry if you're outside the u.s and we do appreciate appreciate you listening uh, wherever you are but uh yeah. we're sending it out for free so we're just sending yeah. it here locally here and definitely uh you know check out uh, the audio book uh it's definitely uh worth it it's only 11.99 you'll learn a learn a ton of stuff from byron there and uh, don't forget, uh, we'll put a link to the page for that. And uh, we'll also put a link for the Grapplethon uh, for our friend Amber Oxford Haynes. Uh, definitely, if you got some time uh, or extra cash, donate a little bit of money to her. Yep, if you're in town, uh, come go to the event. I mean, they're going to be grappling all day. If you're yep. not in town, just donate some money yep. if you're able to and, and support Amber that way. Uh, speaking of things, come by the this is Wichita, Kansas. We're in here, Gary. Yeah, let us know. We'd love to uh, love to train. Yep. Yep. Maybe we could even, after we train, get you up here and get you on the show. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> All the, I could record a little segment with my phone at the gym. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be fun. So uh, we've got a great show coming at you guys next week. Uh, we'll catch you guys then. Yeah, we really, really appreciate you listening. Thank you so much. And stay sweaty, my friends. Thank you for listening. I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu.